Pet Resource Radio is brought to you by our friends at La Mega KC, Kansas City's Spanish radio station, and of course by our friends at One Kansas City Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC area or listen online at onekcradio.org. Today we're talking with Kathy Nash-Peterson about our new support group for owners of shy or fearful dogs this week on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Sierra Howe. Welcome to the show. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services. We've got an interview coming up with uh, Kathy Nash-Peterson about our new support group for uh, owners of Shy and Fearful Dogs. But first, a little pet news. First up is a testimony to why dogs are such brilliant and beautiful creatures. A young mountaineer was climbing Mount Velabit with his Alaskan Malamute North when he was injured and stranded at 5,600 feet. It was cold, dark, and the weather conditions were so severe that it took a rescue team of 27 to push past all of the ice and broken tree branches to make it to their location. When they finally reached the man and his dog around midnight, they found North laying on top of him, guarding him and keeping him warm. Without North, his dad may not have made it through the night. Quote, Friendship and love between man and dog know no boundaries. From this example, we can all learn about caring for each other, said the Croatian Mountain Rescue Service. The mountaineer is expected to make a full recovery, and his dog is being hailed a hero, as he should be. Absolutely, he should be. I know one of the reasons why I picked this pet news is just another example of why pets are just so powerful in our lives. Yeah. Like, what would we do without them? No, like a true companion, someone that's not going <clears> to, to to leave you or abandon you and that is going to support you in any way that they can. That's yeah. It's pretty amazing stuff. The most loyal creatures. So we've talked in the past about the effect the pandemic has had on the number of pets and shelters waiting to be adopted. At first, everybody was adopting and fostering, and despite the restrictions on face-to-face interaction, pets were getting adopted like it was nobody's business. But according to data from the Best Friends Animal Society, we're in a trend now that's kind of a backslide. Um, According to what they're saying, there are 100,000 more pets in shelters now than there were this time last year. Now, this is uh, due to a number of things such as return pets that were adopted in early days of the pandemic, but also as we've seen personally, uh, more pets being relinquished because folks are struggling and can't afford vet care. In addition, Julie Castle, the Best Friends Animal Society CEO, points to the fact that the Omicron surge has put an extra strain on shelters, forcing some of them to pare down their efforts and focus on sheltering rather than adoption because they simply don't have the staff to do both. In other words, now is a great time to foster or adopt. The shelters need your help. Um, Man, they like summed up the last couple of months for us. I know we're not a shelter, but we've been impacted by Omicron yeah, it's been it's been bad here. Yeah, and especially here in the past month, it's been pretty uh, nasty. Now, I reached out to our friend Casey Waugh over at Wayside Waves to see what she had to say. And she said that, you know, they're kind of just at a normal spot right now. They're not really, really seeing that kind of thing, <clears throat> which is what she said last time when those reports first started coming in um, about pets being returned that were adopted during the pandemic. So maybe we're just not seeing it here. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're seeing it more over at Casey Pet Project. 
Um, yeah. But she also says that, you know, they've been really good about um, masks, even when they weren't required. Um, so that probably contributes to the fact they also have a much bigger space than we yeah, do. Uh, so it's probably sure. easier to be a little more spaced out. Um, so they haven't been hit quite as hard, but mm-hmm. you know, it is happening and it's definitely happening here yeah. to us now. <laughs> it's just a reminder to, to please be patient. Everyone out here is working yep. as hard as they can to help you and your pet. Yep. But one thing like you mentioned that you can do is consider adopting one or even fostering yes. if you have the space. Yes, so. exactly. Because, I mean, even if they're not overcrowded like the data shows, um, they still need you. They always do. Mm-hmm. So, um, how about we go talk to Kathy Nash Peterson? Alrighty. The bond between pets and people is a strong one. But not every dog has an easy time of it around humans. We're talking specifically about shy and fearful dogs. Living with a dog of this nature can bring stress and frustration to a dog owner just trying to enjoy their life with their furry friend. This is why we started a support group for owners of shy and fearful dogs called Fearful Feisty Fido. And we've got the group's coordinator, Kathy Nash-Peterson, on the podcast today to talk to us. Kathy, welcome to Pet Resource Radio. Hi. Happy to be here. So part of the reason you wanted to facilitate a group like this is because of your experiences with your own dog, Marley. Tell us a little bit about how she came into your life and the road to figuring out how to work with her. So I adopted Marley when she was a puppy Mm -hmm. um, at five weeks, which is really actually young to be adopting, but that's when they were adopting them out. And, um, you know, she was fine. And then I took her to puppy class. Mm -hmm. And at that time, she began some resource guarding. Okay. And she was asked not to return Aww. to puppy class. <laughs> so I contacted the uh, people that were doing the adoption because they t- said that they had trainers to work with. So mm-hmm. I worked with one of their trainers who happened to use somewhat of alpha training. Ah, uh, Yes. Now, alpha alpha training. Now, let me jump in real quick for the listener. Now, alpha training is we've talked about this before with uh, Lily Chin on a previous episode. Uh, It's very much the uh, um, dog whisperer style of training where you are showing that you are in charge and it's about dominance. So Uh I (laughs) attempted some of the things that the trainer suggested. Nothing really harmful sure, but, sure. Um, stepping on her food and then taking my foot off right and that only made her worse right that's what i hear about those training methods okay so that type of training didn't work so what how how did you find your way to, to other types of training okay so i only did that for like three or four Probably around three weeks because okay. uh, it was it made me more nervous and it made my dog more nervous. Right. So then um, I did research and I found something called Tellington Tea Touch, mm-hmm. and I began taking her to those classes. So Tellington Tea Touch uses some gentle touch, and then they use some training, like getting them to walk through. Uh, like a labyrinth or right um, over different items so that they feel different textures so that it helps build their confidence. Okay. All right. So 
when we talk about um, shy and fearful dog owners, what are some of the issues that they have to deal with that folks might not think about? So I know that one thing that I commonly come across is people who are walking their dogs, maybe um, like I live in an area where there's a cemetery. And mm-hmm. so I like to walk my dog in there because there are some nice trees and things. And there, people will often have their dog off leash. Right. And their dog will run up to my dog and I will say, could you please put your dog on a leash? And they will proceed to say, don't worry, my dog is friendly. Right. And you know, I want to tell them that my dog might or might not be so friendly if she becomes afraid that right. she could react to their dog. Or another thing is people want to pet my dog. Mm-hmm. And I will say, please don't pet her. Let her come to you rather mm-hmm. than you coming to her. Yeah. And they go, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Dogs love me. I'm a real dog person. <laughs> And then I say, well, you know, I try to explain that she's a can be a fearful dog. And then they will say, well, what is she going to do? Bite me? And right. I have to say, she might. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is that is a, that is a possibility here. Um, well, now that has to have some kind of psychological effect on you as a dog owner to always be on high alert. What, what kind of effect did it have on you? Well, um, first of all, it can be difficult to, um, you know, know that I need to keep my dog safe, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. also know that she's a very loving dog and she doesn't always react. Right. So, so keeping enough space to keep her safe and also not... You know, not send a message down the leash that she needs to be afraid. Right. Because they're going to pick up on that. They they pick up that just like switching on a light for electricity. Yeah. And then also, you know, there's parts of me that feel a little guilty sometimes. You know, did I cause any of this? Right. Right. Or that I love her so much. And there's times that I would. Just love to have a cute little, (laughs) Mm -hmm. quote, normal dog that wants to play and be around everybody and that type of thing. So it Um, can be difficult. It can be difficult. And I've I've definitely heard that. And from from other folks that I've talked to that have shy and fearful dogs, it's it's very – it's very stressful, um, and it is – yeah, I I hear that about the guilt a lot, um, honestly. Um, well, what kind of things do you want owners of shy and fearful dogs to understand? So I want them to really know that dogs aren't bad. Right. And I also want them to know because, you know, often I hear that it's not the dog, it's the owner. Mm -hmm. And that can be true, Mm -hmm. but it can also be true that, that there are fearful and reactive dogs for no reason (laughs) From the person's, you know, from the other, you know, from the right. owner's side. So that, um, you know, again, learning things that they can do for their dog mm-hmm. and themselves to mm-hmm. keep their dog safe and to keep people safe. Right. And that this group is just to talk about, the, you know, the frustrations and 
And the and the positive things that we and the positive things because there are those positive things that's probably just as important to keep in mind I would imagine right Um, so yeah like you said this is this is a group for people this is a support group it's not a group to cure your dog of this disposition it's a chance for people in a similar situation to talk now what do you think sharing these experiences will bring to the lives of these owners and and what do you hope that they they take away from this to help with their situation. So I think that it's just really helpful to talk about it, to know that you're not the only person that um, has a dog like this. Um, Hopefully they can learn a few things that can make things easier. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's sharing of tips and tricks and and things like that. Right. And we won't be talking about, again, we won't be talking about using – Shot collars, right? Or, no shot collars, no prong collars, no, no none of that stuff. Stuff working with the dog, understanding the dog, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, would you say that there are upsides? Let's. We were talking about the good things. What are What are the upsides to having a shine fearful dog? Are there any life lessons you've learned that you'd want to impart? So, um, I did, like I mentioned earlier, I blamed myself for. A long time. Sure, It's sure. like, oh, I did that three weeks of alpha training and oh. Right. Yeah. And um, I I take, I mean, obviously I take my dog to the vet and the vet has assured me that they're really fairly certain that she has a chemical imbalance okay. and that it was nothing that I did. And also um, adopting her at a really young age where she didn't have. Wasn't socialized. Um, wasn't socialized. Yeah, correct? yeah, for sure. And then I will say that she has shown me where I have my own fear uh-huh. is one thing. And she's also taught me patience. Ah, yes. I mean, I mean really patience. Yeah. It's so important. So how should people approach a dog they don't know? So listen to what the owner says. Right. Don't assume that you know more than the person that owns the dog. And right. if they ask you not to pet the dog, don't pet the dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and make sure that your dog is on a leash. Um, you, you know, if you're walking and you can see that someone um, has a dog that might be reactive or thing, cross the street or turn right. around and go the other direction. Um yeah. You know, you can there's small things that you can do to make life easy. Yeah, and I think probably a big part of it is just not making assumptions about what you're coming up on as a person. Like Correct. you're seeing this dog and this person, you know, 99 times out of 100, maybe it's fine. But in this situation, you're putting yourself at risk, you're putting the dog at risk, and you're putting the dog's owner at risk. Correct. And so, I've also done some training and, you know, have learned that us walking towards each other is really a very different thing than dogs on a leash walking towards each other. Mm. That dogs and humans think very differently. Yes, <laughs> Even they do. though that we, and we don't remember that. Right. You no, know, we think that they think like us. No. Nope, they got different brains all together. Right. <laughs> well, if somebody wants to sign up for this group, how do they do it? So they can go to Eventbrite and search for Fearful Feisty Fido. That is excellent. Um, I am very excited about this, and I'm very excited to have you on board. Um, I <clears throat> there's there's so many 
times where we've had people and, and training has helped in some cases where we've had clients who have been on the verge of giving up their dogs because of that situation. And, and a shelter situation is not going to be any better for a shy and fearful dog. So, um, you know, having something like this for people to kind of, uh, share those experiences that I think is really fantastic. So thank you very much for taking this on. Well, I will say that too, now that you mentioned about giving up your dog when I, there was a time that my family uh-huh. and friends said that I should give her back uh-huh. um, because of her reactivity. And I said, you know what? If I had a child that had, you know, some issues, I wouldn't give them back. And so I, why right. would I give my dog back? Exactly. You work with what you got. Mm-hmm. You made uh, that decision. Yes. You love this pet. Why would you give this pet up? Correct. Exactly. And that's what we're all about here. So you're like, this is, it's perfect. I'm excited to um, be here and help people keep their dogs and Mm -hmm. hopefully make things at least somewhat easier. Yeah, exactly. At least give some people a place to de-stress and and share that. So thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. And thank you. So, Sierra, what does your family do when a pet dies? That is a good question because it's changed over time. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, depending on the size of the pet, like we had all types of animals, hamsters, birds, cats, dogs, we would either bury them in our backyard and, you know, buy like a little stone that had a sweet saying on there and each pet would have their own Um, almost like a gravestone, I guess Mm. you could call it. But if it were a larger pet, we would typically cremate it. Yeah. Um, But now, as an adult, I, you know, I lost my cat, let's see, I guess a year and a half ago, and Mm. I got her cremated because I rent. Right. So I couldn't carry on that tradition, but... Now my mom will always do paw prints, and she'll put their names on the paw print. And I feel like we've kind of moved on from from like a full an actual burial, burial to yeah. cremating. So that's what I do now. Hmm. Why do you ask? Well, I was thinking about this story that I found uh, from last year about this pastor at a church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, he threw this really extravagant funeral for a seven-year-old pug, Dexter. A ton of flowers, a large, beautiful embroidered print of Dexter, and an open casket where Dexter laid with a a blue chew toy, which was his favorite. Um, Some people said it was a bit much, uh, maybe a bit ostentatious. Um, But, you know, is it? Um, I looked into how we've been treating our deceased friends in the past, and here's what I found. So we've been laying our pets in graves since about the first or second century. Um, There's a... uh, uh, we've talked about this before, I think, actually, on the podcast, um, a pet cemetery on the outskirts of Berenike in Egypt. Um, <clears throat> the remains of 536 cats and 32 dogs were placed carefully in the graves, some of them buried with mementos. Um, the bodies of the animals showed no sign of early death or trauma. And in fact, some of them showed evidence of having had long-term illness or injury, meaning they were valued even if they weren't in the best of health. Um, you know, we think of you know companion animals as being a, a relatively recent thing, but um, this shows that you know we were mourning them even back then. But funerals for pets have caused a stir before. Back in 1634, there was this dude named uh, Scout Willem de Bont. 
the chief judicial officer, and he held a held a funeral for his dog, Titer, that was basically what you would have given a child um, from the elite class, the type of funeral you would you would give to somebody uh, like that. Um, a funeral procession wound through the streets. Uh, Debont's wife was ringing a mourning bell. The children trailed behind. The procession eventually like went around the estate like three times and then stopped at the garden and where, you know, they, they buried him under um, uh, a pear tree. Uh, citizens were enraged um, because the government at that time um, was doing a lot of exploitation of, you know, common people. And they saw this as, as kind of a slap in the face for someone to do this much for a dog when there were people starving. Um, so that's a stir that they've caused, but you know, that hasn't changed the fact that we still mourn our pets and we still do have funerals for them. I mean, we have pet cemeteries, the oldest pet cemeteries in the U S and Europe opened in like 1896 and 1899 respectively. Um, and the one in France, instead of mausoleums, they have little stone dog houses, um, and the, U, the one in the U.S. is in New York, and it currently houses over 80,000 animals. And even in modern-day Bangkok, many Buddhists believe that as part of the samsara life and death cycle, dogs and cats can be potentially reincarnated as humans. This means that some people give their pets full Buddhist funeral rites, something that used to be reserved only for humans. You know, prayers for forgiveness, a blessing by a monk filling the coffin with fake gold, and a, a full cremation. So is it a big deal to mourn your pet by having a funeral for them? No, not at all. No, I don't think so either. They're members of the family. And that's how I feel about it. Now, I think that the kind of like big um, ostentatious funerals, you know, I don't know. It really depends on the person, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Because that's how I tend to mourn very quietly and mm-hmm. in my own yeah, way. Exactly. I'm not going to judge anyone. Right. For but how for they someone to that. have a big ostentatious funeral like you. That's what you mm-hmm. want to do. That's what you want to do. You want to celebrate your dog's life. You celebrate your dog's life. But that at the end of the day, that person is mourning, and that's how they're processing the loss of like their best friend. Yeah, so. exactly. So however you mourn, know that there's no wrong way to mourn. And if you need to reach out to somebody to talk to them about what you're going through, if you're having a hard time, you know, you lost a pet. Um, reach out to us. We'll talk to you. You can also reach out to our friends at Wayside Waves. They have a pet loss support group you can be a part of. Uh, Getting those things out and talking about them is a natural part of grief. we say goodbye to you friends big thanks again to kathy nash peterson for being on the show today if you're interested in our fearful feisty fido class just head over to eventbrite and search for fearful feisty fido as for us we're a nonprofit that's looking to keep pets and people together and you can help just head to prckc.org and you can donate volunteer shop our online store and more If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to rate us and leave us a review because that always helps new people find us. And for the latest information, follow us on social media. We're at PRR Podcast on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next time, tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the author and screenwriter Nora Efron said, when your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. Take care. 
Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, written, hosted, and produced by Sierra Howe and Dave Shapiro, recorded and edited and mixed and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries. 